With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morning everyone, it's 9.03 here on SENZ, Ian Smith with you from 9 to 12 as I do every weekday and it's uh, fantastic to to be doing this job at such a a wonderful time too with the Olympics beaming in now from uh, Tokyo and New Zealanders involved uh, day in, day out. We're going to focus a lot on the Olympics again this morning as you would imagine Uh, and we're also going to particularly focus in on rowing. Uh, We picked up a silver yesterday and we really got a chance of gold uh, later in the morning. Uh, Mahi Drysdale has... Uh, really been good to us and uh, he's going to talk to us again uh, about the possibilities of uh, perhaps a gold medal later this afternoon. Wouldn't that be fantastic? We'll have a panel with you. We've got a, a where are they now with an old buddy of mine, John Wright, always a good yarn teller, so that'll be fantastic. And one of the highlights of the morning uh, will be uh, crossing a, to uh, Tokyo to talk to uh, our silver medalist from yesterday in the women's double skulls, Brooke Donahue. Can't wait for that. That should be fantastic here on SENZ. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. So then, what do we make of Simone Biles, the 24-year-old American face of the Olympics who can no longer, it seems, face the Olympics? Twice in the last two days, Biles has withdrawn from events in the gymnastics competition, citing the weight of the world on his shoulders, or in other words, not being able to handle the burden of self-expectation and that of the masses. Regarded by those masses as the best gymnast of all time, a tag, a tag that's always worthy of debate. Simone Biles is incredibly successful and popular and put on the highest pedestal as the ultimate role model. And whilst the vast majority of those competing it in Tokyo won't win, Biles absolutely must. For most, searching for the elusive personal best or the highly commended will suffice. It can only be a medal for her and it can only be gold. Living and performing with that is not rare in sport, we see it often. We feel it often, and to some degree, our very own All Blacks have to live with it. But that is different, it's a team environment, and whilst Biles will have an incredible support team around her, you can bet on that, it's simply not the same when the spotlight goes on. She clearly has demons, deep-seated ones, and they will not be leaving anytime soon, especially under the blowtorch of the Olympic environment and it's accompanying in entourage. So for me, Simone Biles needs to get out of Dodge, and quickly, because the paparazzi will continue to lie in wait. It's sad, even a little disturbing, but she's only 24. So much of her life is still ahead to achieve in so many fields. 
That won't make her any lesser role model to the youth of today. Admitting your issues and facing them and dealing with them is a gold medal performance in itself. Simone Biles can still be the face of the Olympics to many without even taking the floor. Gary Hermanson, folks, has been for decades regarded as one of New Zealand's leading experts in social work, psychotherapy, counselling, uh, counsellor education and sports psychology, educated at uh, Berkeley University in California and predominantly at Massey University where uh, he achieved as a scholar to a high degree and then as a tutor, a professor. Uh, he's been an advisor to the Commonwealth and Olympic Games teams in the past uh, and it's a strong association with New Zealand cricket, equestrian New Zealand and many others. He is highly qualified to talk about athlete pressure and burnout. And Gary Hermitson, uh, thanks very much for making yourself available this morning. Uh, good to catch up with you again. Yeah, hi Ian. Good, good to do the same. Uh, listen, uh, the hottest topic, I, I think, not so much involving uh, New Zealand athletes at the moment, but the, is this scenario where Simone Biles, the highest profile athlete or gymnast anyway, uh, has started to withdraw from competitions. We need to get a bit more of an insight uh, just onto the pressures of being an athlete and perhaps an individual athlete as opposed to a team athlete. Uh, what's she going through that, that has uh, really uh, produced this outcome? Well, and listen to what you said before. I think you captured it as well. The, the main thing is that ultimately the, the pressure of expectations has got finally to the point for her where um, it's become too difficult to manage and it's, effect, it's affected her delivery. And um, I think in that sense, she's feeling like it's better to kind of let it go and to deal with her own demons rather than to try and push on and meet some uh, potential satisfaction of, of the nation. Really. See, you know, great performance uh, produces fame, it produces income, I suppose, I would imagine, Behind the scenes, she's uh, endorsing and, and doing very, very well out of uh, of her achievements, etc. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, she's 24 years of age, which some would say uh, is young, uh, but in terms of her performance, she's been around for quite some time, and I think that's one of the surprising things that it's hit now. Yes, I think with her and uh, with uh, Naomi Osaka in particular, you know, very high profile. Uh, at the point of competition, it's almost like there's a hitting a brick wall around that. You could have imagined that she might have thought about that before the Olympics and, and dealt with it, but decided to go ahead. And, and the, the problem is that any athlete going out under that pressure, as you'll know, is that that ability to get the brain and the body working together, dealing with whatever's uh, right in front of you. But when you get pushed into the need to achieve a gold um, or whatever, outcome is, is required or demanded, then there's that separation of alignment. So the brain is no longer fully occupied on the task at hand. It's now 
partly trying to manage the future and to deal with the consequences that might occur, positive or, in this case, potentially negative, the, the, the emotional life and death that can go with that, really. Uh, Gary Hermitson is with us, uh, sports psychologist and, and really an expert on, on the subject of what's happening, really, uh, to Simone Biles. Um, Gary, a lot of people say, and we had a few texts uh, yesterday when the first news of her pulling out came through, just bite the bullet and get on with it. You know, you, yesterday you let your team down. Um, you know, just, just there's going to be ups and downs in sport, and you're the best person to, to show the young of the world how you fight through them rather than pulling out. What do you think of that attitude? Well, I think it's naive in a way because um, if you get to that point where it's clear that you're not going to be able to do that, and in this case it seemed like she'd arrived at a point in competition, which was unusual, which said, look, I just can't, I can't do what's required of me. So to then say, oh, harden up and go and do it, is overlooking the inner dynamics that are going on. It's not that straightforward. It's not just, oh, I've suddenly become weak. It's because there's a, a kind of, I mean, basically the, two main fears we have as human beings is the fear of rejection and the fear of abandonment. And to do that, you know, when you go out there and you try to um, meet expectations, the fear of failure and that suddenly overwhelms you in that, in that regard. So it's a bit naive just to say, harden up, get out there and do it, um, because it's not likely to have been the case anyway. Gary, I've, I've been following uh, Simone Biles because I, I kind of figured she was going to be one of the the stars of the show, and uh, she was going to attract all sorts of ratings, etc. Um, and and uh, leading up to the Olympics, she'd been performing all sorts of marvellous things, particularly in the vault and somersaulting, etc., uh, achieving things that no athlete had ever done before. So I was kind of uh, assuming she was peaking. Uh, has she? Has this been gradual, or has has she just snapped? I think she's got a, I mean, as, as we know, she's had a, a background of experiences in life which have been difficult. Um, but I think the hard part was that in the lead up to the Olympics, it's almost like the better she got and the more spectacular got, the more the assumption was that it was a gold medal, you know, done deal. Um, and I think probably what's happened is it's arrived at the point where that transition from preparation, which is, you know, relatively more straightforward into the actual delivery on the world stage in front of, the, the nation and her nation, which is massive in terms of its uh, demands. I think that's basically the, the timing of it makes sense when you think about it in those terms. She uh, obviously performs in front of vast crowds. I mean, you know, she's a, a, a hot ticket in, in her own right, regardless of other athletes who are the gymnasts who may be taking part at any one event. But, uh, of course, there is the scenario now in Tokyo of no fans, no atmosphere, uh, I just wonder whether that might uh, have contributed because often, and you will advise, uh, I suppose, athletes along the way that you can use atmosphere and that sort of thing to your advantage and, and get you up. Without that, that must be a totally foreign thing for a, a lot of the athletes uh, taking part in, the, in these Olympics. Yes, there's a kind of an isolation that goes with that. And you're, you know, you're absolutely right. The, the crowd, is, particularly in gymnastics, where there's a lot of buzz and energy and if, if it had not been the COVID scenario, there would have been a real group of, of US supporters and it would have been possible to, to drive off that. But to, uh, to go without that is problematic. And you could also see the point that, that you made about the crowd too. I mean, the All Blacks have had difficulties over the years in the World Cup scenario. They get to that point where you know best team in the world 
go into the, the knockout stages of World Cups, and they struggled uh, apart from the first and maybe the um, the two fifteen uh, combination. But uh, the Eden Park in two eleven was probably the thing that carried them through to the point where they could actually hold the ground. And as uh, uh, the coach Graham Henry said, you know they they thrashed France by one point, but it was so narrow. But it was probably the crowd, the home crowd, really carried them through to the point they could hold on long enough to be able to deliver what the nation demanded. Overall, Gary, I mean, you've, uh, this is one of uh, your great passions and, of course, uh, one of your great studies in life. Uh, are we starting, as a, is there more pressure on now with media coverage, as, uh, you know, ad, of expectation? Do athletes just have to live with more pressure than perhaps they used to have to uh, maybe as a little time ago as 10, 12 years ago? Yes, I think that's absolutely the case. The consequences and the, the visibility of what goes on is much more intense in that way. And there's been a shift over time. The um, story I tell quite a bit is that in the Commonwealth Games in 1998 in Kuala Lumpur, where I was my first Games, it was quite a lonely experience. You know, I'd walk down the street and athletes would, I'd just notice them subtly finding ways to be distracted and go somewhere else because to be seen in my company as a sports psychologist was an indication of them having troubles. But over time, there's been much more attention on that so that in Rio, last games of that, you know, it wasn't at all unusual for athletes to call across the dining room and say, hey, you're available this afternoon or can I catch you now or whatever. And I think what's happening is that there's much more preventive work going on around mental health and well-being, but we probably haven't quite caught up yet. We're still dealing with the reactions or the reactive things that happen when the heat goes on. But I think over time, there's more and more likelihood, and we're doing that much more too, is to, to help athletes anticipate, but also to be able to, to understand the, the mental dynamics that go on that once they become more aware of and have some strategies which are able to hold them in the, in the right space, then we're probably going to find there'll be a matching up between being able to manage the circumstances, whereas at the moment I think there's still some unpredictability about that. Sports psychology and, and, and dealing with athletes, uh, I'm sure, is a mixture between building them up, getting them ready, getting them ready to peak at the right time. There's so much science involved in that. But the other side of it is, uh, Gary, is dealing with, with burnout and dealing with failure. Uh, how much of the latter do sports psychologists these days have to concentrate on? A lot. And, and you know, in many ways, the... The greatest privileges that I've had in my span of involvement has been those moments when you're engaging with an athlete who's distraught and almost like emotional life and death. You know, the, some of the language around, by the way, that the, the failure is, is often couched in those terms. I was struck by the fact that Aaron Smith, post 219, when they lost and came out of the dressing room and spoke to the uh, media, his comment was, you know, we're absolutely gutted, which is a very kind of visceral, um, um, you know, sense of life and death image. But he also said it's like a, a, a funeral in the dressing room. And I think that's what happens. And so that ability to to brave up and to go and, and sit beside somebody and try and help engage with them and listen to them, but also help them express what's happening so they don't lock it in and create some problems with that. I think that's the important piece. And while I'm saying that, just in terms of your piece as well, you'll know that you know when you're in the cricket space, 
when a batsman goes out, you give them time to be able to kind of gather themselves. You know, if they've, got, if they've gone out and they haven't done as well as they want, it's almost like you need to give them space to kind of collect themselves. And then at the right time, you can go in and start the process of helping them deal with the issue and to see what, you know, keep in a perspective. Um, that's an important piece of what happens. And that's tough, but it's also the more fundamental things that happen for sports psychologists. Gary Hermison, just finally, uh, if you were sitting next to Simone Biles or advising her, would you say, knock these Olympics on the head, go home, or go find a, a place where you can relax and just get some downtime and, and refocus uh, on what you want to do, uh, sport-wise or whatever, or would you say, hang in here in Tokyo, it might come right, and you might get a gold later in the week? Um, what, I, what I do for a start is to talk with her about what was actually going on with her to the point where you get an understanding because it, it with the right kind of mindset it may have been possible to to recapture and gather and be able to sort of go out there and perform but if the indications were from her and seem to be that no it's just I've got, I've got to the point where I just can't process this I can't bring myself back into a space where I feel motivated energized and also safe enough emotionally to be able to go out there and do that so my hunch would be that you know you have to follow and help her explore what what lies beneath for her, and it, it could have gone either way. But it depends on just exactly finding out and helping her find out. Is that give up, go home because that's going to be better for you emotionally and and personally, or is it try and find a way to go back and to gather resources and um, deliver what you've been able to deliver as you have for a number of years. Gary Hermanson, uh, thank you so much for at late, late notice to giving up your time this morning. It's been invaluable to listen uh, to your insight on the problems of athletes today in particular with a special focus on this very special girl from America who's having a tough time of it. Gary, uh, great to catch up. Thanks again. Thanks very much, Ian. Cheers. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Now there's, a, a, for a start, uh, a good texting subject for you. 8833, um, you know, what do you make of this... Uh, Simone Biles situation she is the face of the Olympics she was always going to be uh, probably the most famous gymnast of all time but here we find on the greatest stage of all she can't do it she absolutely just cannot get out there and do it um, what do you make of that 8833 0800 is our phone number it's a big big issue uh, a lot of athletes fail and and you know we take a lot of pressure off our kids these days we don't want to make them elite we don't want them to play in rep teams at sport we don't want to keep the score well you know magnify it magnify that a hundred times and you get to the point where Simone Biles is at in terms of pressure interesting subject so 8833 uh, 0800150811 let's get into it eh from behind the stumps to behind the mic you're in safe hands it's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ 9.25 here on SENZ, uh, texts are rolling in about this, it's quite uh, an important subject, just a question, but does some responsibility fall on sports psychologists for the US team? It seems from the outside looking in that she hasn't been given the tools to cope with failure, that's Matt. Uh, yeah Matt, I, I'm with you on that, to be fair, uh, I'd imagine they're working overtime at the moment and the pressure will be on them as well, funnily enough the word pressure will be on them to either get her right or get her out and quick smart, you would imagine. It's been in the, 
you know, an amazing amount of, of uh, backing for her. The likes of Michelle Obama uh, in there saying how brave she is and what a great role model she is. Chris Evert, um, you know, saying, listen, this is such a good thing for young female athletes who might go through this in the future, uh, that you are taking this stance. So, I mean, lots and lots of support. And then there's the other side of the ledger that uh, are just saying, hey, hold it a second. You are who you are. You've been made this by the sport of gymnastics. Okay, it's tough at the moment. It's not exactly going your way. Grin and bear it. These are the, Olymp the Olympics after all. Uh, and you're up on a pedestal. You are very good. Just pr go out and prove it. I mean, it's tough. Uh, hi, Smithy. I think she's been incredibly brave to pull out. Uh, a lot of world-class athletes, especially when they finish their careers, have really, really struggled. Michael Phelps, Ian Thorpe, Jack Lovelock, uh, to name but some. You know, it's just, yeah, absolutely right on, in that regard. So uh, keep them coming in, 88.33. Uh, I believe we've got Frank on the line. Frank, good morning to you. Oh, no, he's gone. Okay, Frank's gone. So there you go. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to our, another caller very shortly. Uh, also, uh, JD, this morning we've, we've really got uh, some fine guests lined up. Uh, we, we talked to Ricky Herbert, Carl Tanana and Mahe Drysdale uh, about performances coming up. Uh, now they're going to come back to us in review mode. So that's coming up also this morning. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. What's your take on Simone Biles, John Day, as a, as a sports journalist? What would you be doing if you were in Tokyo right now on that case? Well, it's a massive story in the wake. Am I online? Yeah. Um, it's a massive story, Smithy, isn't it? I mean, uh, especially in the wake of Naomi Osaka, I think that kind of alerted us to this issue, uh, especially in female sport, of uh, the pressure being heaped on someone. Like, Naomi Osaka has become the face of tennis uh, after Serena Williams. She is the future of the sport, and she wasn't able to handle the intense media pressure because that wasn't her personality. Uh, they get forced to be these people because they're the best at their sport. So Simone Biles has been through a hell of a lot. Anyone who's read about her uh, knows what she's been through. Uh, from the US team doctor, she's a survivor from that, um, from Larry Nance being put in jail uh, for what he did. Uh, and then she's come through. I think she had kidney stones when she won an, uh, the world championship. So she's battled through that. So she is hardened and able to, like, she can perform through adversity and then maybe this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, when you compete sometimes, Smithy, at the highest level, you've done it. Um, sometimes your body and your mind don't work together. And in this case, yep. we saw her go off the mat uh, during one of her routines. And then during the vault, she was supposed to do a two and a half twist, did a one and a half twist, could have landed on her head. Anything could have happened. So she's obviously not in the right mind space here. Um, and to simply say hard enough and get on with it is just way too simplistic, like Gary Hermanson said. So for me, it's a really interesting topic um, and something we are just learning about through Naomi Osaka and through Simone Biles. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, uh, John, is her build-up was so exciting. You know, uh, she was uh, performing uh, vaults and, and exercises that no gymnast had ever, ever even contemplated trying, and she was pulling them off. So everyone was thinking, man, she's at the top of her game, physically and mentally. She has peaked at exactly the right time. And they're all thinking, gold, 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 who's going to get silver? I, I think that's what it boiled down to. So it was a, a bit of a it's a bit of a concern. It's a massive concern. Uh, and it's coming to the fore, and it'll raise other issues around it. Oh, I'm absolutely certain. It's uh, 9.30 here on SENZ. 9.30 means Trudy and the news.
9.32 here on SENZ. It's Olympic time, uh, and we're doing pretty well, actually, to be fair. Uh, we're starting to pick up medals. A real chance of one later this afternoon, <coughs> excuse me, with Grace Prendergast and Kerry Gowler in the have already set the world's best time in, in the women's double skulls, and I think uh, they're a big chance of perhaps going the full distance here. Uh, and also, I have to say, it's been a, a, an Olympics where we're setting benchmarks, and, and that is a positive sign. And that has been the case, too, of the Ollie Whites. And now uh, Ricky Herbert joined us as we previewed uh, last week the possibilities of just how well the Ollie Whites might go. Uh, Ricky's been good enough to just come back to us this morning uh, and review the performance thus far because, Ricky, uh, we've set history in terms of football. Uh, we've qualified for the first time ever, and they look good in doing it at times. Yeah, thanks, Ian, and uh, good morning. But, uh, yeah, look, absolutely fantastic, isn't it? I think, um, like you say, setting benchmarks is really important in any code, and I think, you know, certainly in football, it's, it's just fantastic to see that, um, you know, going into the Olympic campaign and... Uh, you know, uncertainty in games and, and preparation and all that sort of thing that the boys have really stepped up and got themselves through to the quarterfinals. So uh, absolutely terrific performances. And, uh, you know, whilst Andy will want things better and, and improved in certain areas, uh, they certainly bounce back, uh, you know, from a from a difficult sort of situation um, after they'd uh, played against Honduras. Yeah, they did, actually. Uh, that was interesting. Let's go back to that performance against Honduras, which was a very poor defensive performance. Uh, and it was interesting that, that Danny Hay stayed faithful. I mean, what wasn't factored into that, I believe, is the loss of uh, Winston Reid after five or six minutes of that game. I mean, one of the, f the best defenders New Zealand football's ever had. We lose him that early in the game. There was always going to be problems, wasn't there? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, pivotal to, to, to the side, not only from a you know, performance point of view, but I think uh, leadership around, uh, you know, what happened certainly in that, back part of the pitch um, and I think sorely missed but I guess in those circumstances too Smithy you're looking just for those people who will put their hands up and, and, and really accept that responsibility when, when things are a little tougher and maybe that senior leadership's not around the team um, and I guess we probably didn't quite see as much of that as we, we would have liked but um, some smooth sailing since then and I think um, you know, the confidence installed back into the goalkeeper. He did make some really pivotal saves um, in last night's match against Romania. And, um, you know, probably from, from Danny's point of view, he's, you know, he's got his confidence back. And, um, you know, let's hope he, he keeps making those steps and moving forward as they advance through to the, the quarterfinals. And we see some of the other, other players um, that are younger coming through and, and certainly probably strong prospects to be in our national team for qualification for the World Cup, really step up and take this opportunity to, to lead us and take us as far as we can go. You know Danny Hay well, you coached him, um, and you know uh, his, his attributes, his strengths. Uh, what do you assess about him as a coach? What have you been impressed by? Um I think when, when it's it's good to see the organisation, um, Smithy, and I think, you know, we can we can talk of that sort of twofold that, um, you know, at times, um, as you mentioned, through the Honduras game, we looked shaky and, and sort of undecisive in, in what we were doing from a defensive point of view. But I think just the structure, and I, I guess the one thing that's echoed to me and, and, and could have stood, stood out in my in my view, whilst there'll be a number of you know, people with different reasons and, and, and um, sort of suggestions, 
that the structure has been good. So he set the team up to, to have the possibility of winning games. Um, you know, and while, whilst there's a lot of talk around, you know, we can be better technically and we've got better technicians coming, um, you know, it was only last night that we did gain a little more in possession, quite a lot more in possession as far as the game's concerned. But even the previous games when we hadn't, you know, we were still well in the match and we still had opportunities to go and win football games. And I think that'll be the big thing. I think we touched on that in, in the first interview after their first successful win, um, that when they go into the senior environment that and, and looking for qualification for World Cup, getting a foothold into the game and giving yourself that opportunity to go and score the winning goal or, or score a second goal to, to advance and go through to another you know, senior World Cup campaign is going to be incredibly important. And, and I think I've started to see some really good signs of that. Um, and that's not a reflection on sitting back and defending. I think at times you do need to do that. Um, but I think you know they're starting to get that mix right on, on how to defend and, and keep themselves in, in football matches and, and how to go on and win them. OK, so now we move uh, into the knockout phase and it's uh, against Japan, which is going to be a very, very tall order. Uh, they're a hugely talented football nation, but they're also at home, of course. They haven't got a home crowd, which takes a little bit out of, uh, out of the equation. Chris Wood is obviously instrumental uh, to what, what we do up front. Uh, he's been almost marked out of the game on occasions. Uh, what do we have to do to get, either get him in the game or find some way around it to knock over Japan? Yeah, I guess, you know, uh, in, the, in the context of the, of the result last night, I think, you know, Chris did look to be quite isolated. And I think, you know, when, when, when you're real back, I mean, we're talking about a, a player here who plays in arguably the, the highest competition in the world and scores regularly um, against arguably the best defenders in the world. And, and you know, now he's coming up against hungry, determined, um, and at sometimes some younger, I think the Romanian side last night, under 21 or, or, or quite a young side, um, but but very passionate. And, you know, they're going to get the opportunity to mark such a, a talented player as Chris. So, I mean, I think, you know, I'd probably like to see a little bit more support getting there um, around him. I think, you know, players coming out of midfield a little bit quicker um, when the ball's in wide areas, maybe having alternative options. Um, as I say, you know, if you've got players coming out of midfield that may offer a little bit of distraction for some of the opposition defenders to pick up and and let Chris sort of isolate himself perhaps one-on-one at times. He's, he's probably being picked up with, with double marking. Um, and just free him up because, as we know, if you get him one-on-one on the box and, and the delivery is quality, then he's certainly going to be as good as anybody to put the ball in the back of the net. So, um, yeah, probably just a couple of fractions to work on. And, you know, the Japanese side will be tough and hard to beat, but I think the Koreans have been the... Um, could be wrong, shoot me down if I am, but so the the, um, the current champions coming out of Asia um, from this group. So, you know, we've beaten them. Um, so I think, again, you know, a nice foothold early into the game and, and maybe just tweak one or two things going forward that, um, you know, the opportunities could well come uh, the way of the Ollie Whites again. Ricky Herbert, as always, thank you very much for your time and your review and your preview of what's coming up for the Ollie Whites. Certainly, they have a starter's chance, there's no doubt about it, when it comes to one-off, cutthroat, uh, pretty good in the past. Remember the World Cup when no one could beat them. Could they do it again here in Tokyo? We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got KT, Kaltanana, yeah, fifth in Rio, uh, the, men's black, uh, the men's sevens team. Yeah, fifth in Rio, but now they've got a medal to show for their efforts. 
Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.45 here on SCNZ, uh, joined now by one of my favourite workmates and uh, favourite human beings, actually, he's a terrific guy, Carl Tanana, and Carl, you would have watched last night, uh, the fact that we got fifth in Rio was overturned somewhat by Silva, I opened this conversation with the fact that I reckon, uh, having watched the emotion of the national anthems, they didn't do us any favour, and we're probably 7-0 down uh, before we even kicked off, the emotion in that Fiji anthem was just incredible. Can't hear Carl Tanana at the moment coming through. Thought that was quite a good question, actually. To be fair, uh, yeah. Okay, well, uh, we'll try again. I'll try and see if I can repeat that question. Actually, it was such a good one. In the meantime, uh, read the sevens. Fiji two short kickoffs at the start of the game, regathered the ball both times and scored. Game over. New Zealand's inability in the air lost them the match. Silver still pretty good, but not in the players' eyes. Joe, the woman, I'll repeat that question just uh, in case you didn't hear it. Uh, KT, I thought we were uh, probably 7-0 down <coughs> after the anthems. There was so much emotion in those Fiji faces. Uh, I think uh, that, was, that the anthems didn't do us any favours. <laughs> yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, that's always the way for the Fijians. They, um, they really uh, do love their anthem, and they're so passionate, you know, and I think... Um, that's probably the most I've seen them cry, I'll be honest. And I think a lot had to do with what's going on back in the islands. And the Fijian Sevens, mm. they're, they're an inspiration to, to their people. And they know the whole island uh, would have been watching them. And to give them a little bit of joy in some uh, small way, you know, I'm, I'm sure they knew they, they were carrying that load and knew how important uh, that uh, gold medal or winning that gold medal meant to that country, you know. So, um, yeah, New Zealand would have known that, though. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Smithy. But, and, and to be fair... I've got to give it to Fiji. They came with a specific game plan and they executed, especially in that first half. And we, we just, they just caught us off balance. And as much as we tried, we just couldn't get it back. Yeah, whilst the kicking game didn't quite work, it put us in two minds defensively, didn't it? Yeah, and the thing is, and I see this um, when, I, when I was on Sky last night with Stephen McIver, that um, I just had the feeling that they were going to kick and it was going to come from their centre, who's quite a quick. Um, quick uh, unit, the small small guy Bolafa, and, and what he did, he took it to the line, so New Zealand, they have a pendulum sort of defence, they don't have a, um, a sweeper or, or fullback per se, which a lot of teams run, so um, when you take it to the line, you, 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 your uh, defender comes up into the line, so no one's in behind, so they, they got exposed there, so when Bolafa took it to the line, put that little chip through, you're right, they're under pressure and always scrambling for that point, and getting those two tries uh, up is monster, that's a monster act in, in, a, in a final such as that, so um, you know, it's a smart play by Gareth Baber and, and for Fiji, who never, ever kicked like that, um, you know, it was something that New Zealand obviously weren't expecting and got exploited. With Carl Tanana here, it's uh, 9.48 on SENZ, just reviewing the silver medal performance by uh, the men's sevens team last night. Uh, I, I think there was a key moment also in the game, if New Zealand were going to come back, and I, I think it was went uh, down the left-hand side when when Regan Ware actually lost control of the ball forward and Fiji capitalised on that. Had New Zealand scored at that point, I think there was that, that was the way back in. Massive moment, absolutely massive moment. Oh, with you, Smithy, you could just feel the momentum shift uh, right there, you know, and, and unfortunately for Regan, you know, he's been so good at that left foot step as one of his attributes, but 
uh, in that sort of situation, you've got to have two hands on the ball. You know, you can't carry it as loose as that. And um, it wasn't even a, a, a contact sort of moment. It was just a straight lost, lost ball. And I know that the humidity and all that sort of um, would, would have been affected. But in those sort of situations, when you know you've got to protect the ball, and we weren't able to do it, you know. And um, yeah, that was, that was a huge one because I think I'm with you. If New Zealand score right there off that uh, phase of play, she's a totally different final. I think New Zealand pushed close. So fifth in Rio, uh, second in Tokyo. Uh, often when you come to the end of a campaign, and, and this seriously is the end of a campaign, you see players uh, towards the end of their careers make big decisions uh, about their future. Uh, who in that black uh, in that All Black Seven squad for you, uh, perhaps we might not see again? Well, yeah, you got to think of the Scott. Scott Curry's is probably why he was, he was really emotional. Um, Timmy Mickelson's another one who's uh, been around for, you know, double figures, 10 years now. I mean, um, have they got enough in the tank to go to a World Cup and a, and a, and a, and a Commonwealth Games next year? I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, there's a new wave of kids coming through. Um, they've been really focused on the cycle, went a year longer than probably, obviously, with, with, the, with the COVID and stuff. Um, and they did pretty well to stick in there. And to be fair, still playing, uh, obviously, at a very high level, but whether they can sustain that for the next cycle, um, you know, is, is something that they, only they can sort of um, decide. Uh, but for me, you know, I think that's why Scott was so 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 uh, broken about how it all sort of played out. It would have been the, the fairy tale finish. Uh, but, you know, in sports, as you know, Smithy, that's not always the case. So uh, for me, those probably are the two guys in my mind that stick out that will be thinking maybe this might be our last dance. Yeah, uh, and a, a good way and a, and a sad way to go out because you always feel a little bit hollow when you don't reach the ultimate and they've been good enough to deserve one, all those players that you mentioned. Okay, so that's the men's one done and dusted uh, and now we look forward to, uh, I believe, a, a very, very strong gold medal chance this afternoon. Uh, what are you looking for early on from uh, the women's sevens team? Um, I'm, 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 I want to see Portia Woodman. She's been out of the game. She's been out of this level for a very long time. So I think... She's going to be a difference difference maker uh, for us, um, just because of the fact that a lot of these teams haven't seen Porsche on the circuit. Um, they've seen everyone else. They've seen the Stacey Flulers. They've seen um, players like that. So uh, having Porsche reintroduced back into this team, I think just lifts this uh, this, this ladies Black Fern Seven squad to another level. So I'm looking forward to her just to reintroducing herself to to uh, to the women's seven side. It'll be interesting to see how um, Corey Sweeney and Ellen Bunting use her. Do they use her sparingly? Do they use her on the wing? Do they use her in the forwards? And um, how they how they utilise her because for me I wouldn't expose her too much to the other teams and then when it comes to the finals if, they, if they've got enough to get there then I think that's when you unleash the, the Porsche woman we all want to see. Okay, Carlton Anna, thanks so much uh, at late notice as well for getting in reviewing the men's uh, position in the of second in the tournament. I think it was outstanding, but uh, I believe Fiji were very very worthy winners on that occasion and I so look forward who I believe a genuine gold medal chance getting underway uh, with the women's seven teams, sevens team later on. Uh, just uh, before 10 o'clock, it's multi-time again. Man, I was close yesterday. So, so close. Frustrating. Multi-time here, folks, and uh, it has not been a good story, to be fair. Uh, yesterday, I predicted that uh, Romania and the New Zealand Ollie Whites would draw. That was three bucks. Well, it happened. Nil-nil. That was a standing prediction. And that would have got us on the way. Olympic tennis, I said Carino Busta would beat Kev, but that happened, $1.26. I also said the Minnesota Twins would beat the Detroit Tigers. That did not happen. And why not? Because the Minnesota Twins blew it 
Uh, it was five all in the tenth innings, the bottom of the tenth. They had loaded bases and they could not. They could not convert, and then they conceded a run in the eleventh innings. Man, that was frustrating because that was a five dollar sixty seven return. So today, under the theory that small fish are sweet, I'm going to go slightly more minuscule in my odds, but a little bit out the square, out of the square in terms of my options. Handball, ah, handball, you say? Yeah, handball. Uh, the Russian Olympic Committee, they'll beat Hungary today at handball. It's $1.35. Men's water polo. Italy will beat the USA today. That's $1.23. And getting back to something I'm a little bit more comfortable with, the NRL tonight. The NRL is uh, on tonight. It's the Eels against the Roosters. The Eels will beat the Roosters at a buck fifty-seven. That will get you back $2.60. I know it's not that much. $2.60. Small fish a sweet. It's a long way back, and the turtle is on his way. The turtle is on his way. Uh, texts are coming in, and they're fantastic ones as well. Uh, didn't hear hard enough or get over it when Ericsson had a major and sudden organ failure. That's the Danish footballer. That's from Joe. A uh, very valid point there. That was physical as opposed to the mental side of things. But, yeah, thanks. There's heaps of texts coming in. We'll read them uh, after uh, the 10 o'clock news, as well as catching up with Mahe Drysdale. Medal time yesterday. Could we go one better today uh, with the women's skull? Man, let's hope so. Let's get on the top level of the dais. Always on the top level of the dais. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Ten oh three here on SENZ. Uh, texts are rolling in. Thank you very much for those. Don't forget your calls either. Don't worry about your multi smithy. Chuck ten k on the women's uh, on the women for gold. That's the women's sevens team. You get a two thousand five hundred k two thousand five hundred dollar return. Uh, that's easy money. Well, if they're that confident, have a crack. I'm not quite that confident for that kind of money. The sevens team played their final in the semi versus Great Britain. A lot of guys there had uh, that Olympic dream hanging there and probably hindered the chance for gold. Lacked a couple of guys without an outpace. Gavin from Dunedin, I think that's a, a fair a fair reflection too. We didn't seem to have that out-and-out out speedster to go around them. Uh, we found some speed yesterday, though. We found some speed, and we found a medal. It's Romania with a goal, their first in this event since 1984. New Zealand, the world champions, are Olympic silver medalists. Absolute magic there for New Zealand in, in rowing, picking up a silver medal. Uh, Brooke Donahue and Hannah Osborne there, absolutely sensational. Uh, and to view, review what we've seen so far on the water for us, uh, is uh, legend Mahi Drysdale, uh, a man who's so used to standing on the dais and hearing that New Zealand national anthem. We haven't quite heard it yet, uh, Mahi. We may well do this afternoon. Uh, thanks for joining us again. What have you made of the course now that you've had a chance to look at some uh, racing over a period of time? Yeah, well, good morning. Um, yeah, well, I guess yesterday was a, a very interesting day. Um, you know, it's, it's a very weird course because the wind is like yesterday was was really blowing, uh, but it doesn't get it doesn't get overly rough. Like I think in most courses, if it was that that windy, the the regatta would be postponed and called off. But um, you saw a lot of crew struggle yesterday. Um, you know the the Norwegian uh, lightweights fell in. Um, the uh, Italians uh, caught a crab in, in the men's quad and, and didn't make it um, into the medal position. And same with the, the German uh, women's quad uh, catching a crab in the, 
know, when they're in the silver medal position. So, you know, it is it is tricky out there, but um, obviously you saw a lot of world-best times, including from uh, Kerry and Grace, which was uh, awesome to see. If, if I look at, uh, I mean, I'm no great expert on rowing, but I do watch it quite a lot, particularly at these times, of course, with the big events are on. I, I look at the pattern of racing, and I, I sort of see that if you're ahead with 500 to go, it's very, very hard in these conditions to get run down. Is that fair? We haven't seen too many crews finish over the top. Yeah, like I think basically if you if you look at, um, you know, like it was yesterday, uh, you've got a sort of side tailwind. And so what that means is, is you know, the, the, the beginning of a course is quite calm. Um, and then as the course gets on, it gets rougher and rougher. So uh, you've got to do your work early um, in, in those sort of conditions. And um, kind of hang on um, and you know it is it is very hard to really lift your rating and sprint through at the end because um, you know the water is getting tricky and uh, you're just more likely as, as the rating goes up uh, you're more likely to, to catch a crab or um, you know have a have an, an error like we saw uh, you know, even the Dutch men's quad that actually won the race uh, yesterday um, you know they had a they had a mistake early and we're probably lucky it was early um, because it gave them the opportunity to sort of make it up and, and come back. Brooke uh, Donahue and Hannah Osborne collecting silver medal yesterday in the women's double skulls. Uh, if we review that race in particular, Mahi, uh, the start wasn't fantastic, to be fair, and we've just talked about the ability to make up lost ground from an early point of view. Tactically, uh, did, they, did they slightly get it wrong? Did they let the Romanians go just too soon, too early and too far ahead? Uh, or the Romanians always going to be just that bit good? Um, I think, you know, looking, you know, I obviously watched it pretty closely through the year. The Romanians were a standout crew. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure that, that our girls, even if they had have gone out, um, you know, would have would have been able to, to match their pace. Um, you know, generally New Zealand crews are, are very strong throughout the race. And, um, you know, like I, I think that's, that was a pretty fair reflection of of our girls you know i think they they performed very well um and you know it was it was um you know it, it just sort of it is what it is sometimes as a crew that that's better and i i think um you know that's what they came up against uh yesterday you know that that crew was silver at the worlds in uh 219 and um, the young girls and i think the the extra two years has um you know given them a, a pretty big boost just going back uh, to uh, the discipline that, that you were heavily involved in and so successful with uh, over the years in, in terms of our Olympic history, our Olympic performance, uh, we talked about Jordan Parry uh, a few days ago. Uh, you said don't get overly optimistic because it's, it's so tough being such a young guy in such a big event. Uh, how did you review that performance overall and who do you, who's the favourite for you now still? Yeah, um, you know, that was, that was tough for Jordan. Um, you know, I think uh, ultimately he will be a little bit disappointed because I, I think he is better than um, you know what he what he showed. But uh, you know that's that's sort of uh, you know throwing someone in um, into the Olympics as their first ever international race in the single. Um, you know, as I say, it's not it's not uh, Jordan's fault. I, I think it's uh, it's just something that that is a, a really tough thing to deal with. And um, you know, he he did. Uh, he did well, um, but you know I don't think he he would be uh, particularly happy in the fact that you know he, he probably has more speed than he he showed uh, in in that race. Um, you know overall now who's my favourite? Well, 
it's it's really um, you know I think there's four guys that can win it. I think Demir um, Martin has, has come back. He's showing some you know the best form he showed since uh, that race in, in Rio that, that uh, you know just tipped him in. Um, you know you've got the the Danish um, color Sverry Nielsen. He's looking really good. Um, the uh, well the German has been the the form guy all year. Uh, there's some question marks, I guess, around him in, in rough water. Um, you know, it depends on what the weather's going to be like. And uh, then should have Walsh uh, from from uh, Norway. And you know, I, I I can't really pick any of them because they're just so so close um, that really any of those four guys uh, I think will uh, could win it. And I think that's where you're going to get the medals in that event. Emma Twig has been a, a teammate of yours. Yours, you can. Uh... Sympathise with her, it's the same discipline, uh, women's single scale. You've seen her in the water now. Uh, how confident are you that uh, she was going to medal and perhaps even stand on the top of the dais? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've been very excited watching her because, um, you know, she's had a, a fantastic week so far. Uh, she's got her semi-final today um, and, you know, I'm, I'm confident that she's, she's going to get through that and, you know, like I really feel like you know she has everything she needs to win that race. So um, it's just going to come down to you know whether she can can get the best out of herself uh, tomorrow. And you know, I think with what I've seen from this year, especially, um, you know, I'm, I'm very confident that uh, you know she's she's more than capable of winning the gold medal, and uh, she's she's also capable of putting out the performance that she needs to do that. And you know, that's that I really I really crossing my fingers and. And hoping that um, it's going to happen because uh, you know she's she's had two fourth places and um, you know you, sometimes it's it's your time but you've you've got to go out and and actually take it and uh, you know that's that's what I really hope she's going to do tomorrow. Yeah, she certainly does look very very good. Uh, the men's eight, it's always great to see an eight in action and, and a New Zealand eight back on the water at this level. They won their repercharge charge to qualify for the final. They look like a crew that is growing as the event moves on. Yeah, and uh, you know that's that's always always good to see. Um, you know, throughout the the racing, that I think yesterday um, they'll have a lot of confidence um, after that race, uh, and that you know that really put them uh, into uh, medal medal contention. So again, they've got to they've got to go in and repeat that uh, tomorrow and. Uh, if they can, uh, I think they'll they'll be right up there. Uh, you know, the men's eight, it's it's a very hard boat to get right. Um, everything has to click, and you know, there's there's nine moving parts, so it's it's something that um, you know you, you certainly you certainly don't bank on. But um, I think you know that will that will give them a massive amount of confidence, and some of those young guys, uh, hopefully, will now believe that um, they can do it. And you know, they, there's, there's no standout person or, or crew in that race. So, um, you know, any medal is, is possible. Um, and if they, you know, that's, that's going to be key, I, I guess, is that first 500 metres, um, not letting anyone get a lead on them. Uh, if, they can, if they can be, you know, within, within sort of five or six metres at the 500 metres, um, you know, they're more than capable of winning it. Mahe Drysdale, um the business at hand is in two hours' time. Uh, Grace Prendergast and, and Kerry Gowler uh, in the women's pair. Yesterday, uh, they lost their world's best time. Uh, they lost it for about the duration of a race because they turned around and got it back again, which is a sign that they are on the top of their game. Really, can we expect 
the gold from them this afternoon? Should we, should we not trying to jinx them, but should we be looking forward to them winning the ultimate prize? Um, yeah, no, it was, it was great to see them yesterday, and you know that was a world best time. And, and I think uh, you know if you if you watch that race, they were cruising in that last 500. Um, you know they're doing two events, they're they're saving themselves. So um, yeah, I'm I'm very confident. Um, I, I've been confident about them all year. They've they've been going amazingly well. Um, and you know again, it's it's about they've certainly got everything um, ahead of them. Uh, it was I guess for the bonus, I think the only crew that I thought had an, an opportunity to beat them with the Aussies uh, and they got rode out in the semi. Um, they'd done a, a two events that day, uh, winning the women's four earlier and I think that, that just made them made them suffer. So, you know, they've lost their biggest threat um, and, you know, I, I, you know I, I would be surprised if they don't win. Um, it's, you know, they, they certainly are capable of it and, you know, they, they've been showing that they're, they're still... Um, you know, very good. So, you know, really looking forward to that. And then, obviously, uh, you know, they're going to hopefully win today, and then they're going to go, and they've got a very good shot at winning the eight uh, on Friday as well. So, um, you know, we're, we're sort of the last few days of this regatta. It's it's going to be exciting, and um, you know, I think this, this obviously today uh, watching Kerry and Grace is, is going to be a highlight. But uh, tomorrow, you know, we've got uh, very good opportunities in three of the four um, finals tomorrow. So uh, we'll, we'll certainly be uh, looking out for that. We have had a proud tradition in rowing. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I want to thank Mahi Drysdale for making himself available again today. Uh, OK, yeah, he's not there, but at least like us, he's been able to enjoy the performances and uh, I think they're going to continue. And I, I certainly believe uh, we will be tasting gold today. Fantastic to hear from Mahi. Uh, it is 10.15. Uh, we've got the panel coming up uh, very shortly. Richard Nola today is joined by Suzanne McFadden, who makes a return appearance on the panel. A number of very interesting issues to go through, uh, and we'll be joining them very shortly. Voice of Sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ten twenty, and it's uh, SENZ that you're listening to here. The new team in town, and part of our team this morning is the panel. Uh, and on the panel this morning, we've got a highly respected uh, journalist from the press in Christchurch, and staff, of course, uh, an expert on a number of subjects, Richard Nola, uh, and to Suzanne McFadden as well, who's making a repeat appearance, which is fantastic. Now, Suzanne is a reigning sports journalist of the year. Uh, from Newsroom, editor of The Locker Room, which is a big focus on women's sport in particular. Good morning to you both. Suzanne, can I start with you? One of the most emotive issues, I think, coming out of the Olympics at the moment is the Simone Biles situation. Uh, what is your take on that? Morning, Smithy. Thanks for having me back for a second time, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's, it's absolutely um, eye-opening to what you know, these young women who we put on a pedestal are going through. And um, we've just put up a, a fantastic column in Locker Room um, this morning from New Zealand Olympic Gymnastics um, representative Angela Walker. And she talks about this as being a good thing, that Biles, you know, she's been through so much in her career, from the Larry Nasser 
incident to more than an incident, sorry, uh, but um, to you know the pressure that she's been under, um, and yet here she is standing up and and being brave enough to say this is enough, this is enough for me, and taking control of her career and her life. So it's so hard to know if as journalists we're doing the right thing, you know, by by really promoting these young women and putting them out there, putting, you know, putting a spotlight on, on their little mistakes and the errors. And uh, it's, you know, at the same time, we're trying to build up these young women as uh, role models for the next generation coming through. And I think it's really, really important to do that. And at the same time, it's really important to show that, um we all have weaknesses. We all have um, things that we're going through that, you know, in her case, are huge. And I, I applaud what she's done, actually. Well, it's interesting. Um, yeah, a lot of people haven't applauded it, but I think everyone's starting to, to get more informed about the whole situation, I think, which is key in these matters. Richard Nola, good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us. It's not something we tend to encounter a, a lot with New Zealand athletes. I mean, our highest profile mm. uh, team under pressure is, I think, it was always the All Blacks, but they're in a team environment, aren't they? And I imagine it's a little easier to cope in that regard. Yeah, yeah you're right, Smithy. I, I mean, just with the conversation that is, is grown around this, and it is a good thing with mental health, uh, the awareness these days, and, and, you know, and, and everyone agrees with that. But it sort of made me think right back for New Zealanders um, when we were growing up following rugby. Probably the first time it really came out for us was when John Kerwin came out in his book. Um, I don't know if you remember. Mm. I think it was about the mid-90s. JK came out with his book, and he spoke about um, his battles with depression, or I think he called it the black dog. Obviously, a lot of people call it that. And that sort of was the first time it was brought open um, more in the, the sort of the wider spectrum here in New Zealand for the, for the sports community. And it did make you think about the pressure these people are under. Um, and he was very brave in coming out, and he's done a terrific job ever since. And it, I think the more people talk about it, um, the more awareness there is. Um, Simone Biles, I do agree. Look, it's very brave for what she's done to come out because she could have boxed on and said, look, I'll do my best, keep charging through. But clearly, well, we don't know everything that's gone on behind the scenes. Um, we don't know what happened in the build-up. You know how many, how long these doubts have been there for? But the other thing, I, I just reading about it, just when they talk about the twisties, which I mean, I, I'm no expert in gymnastics, but they talk about just how dangerous it was that um, you know with the disconnect between the mind and the body, like when they're halfway routine or whatever, and they they have a mind blank and they forget what they're doing, and well, the dangerous situation it's in, you know, that, that she could genuinely be you know badly injured, so. Yeah, I, I think it's quite a courageous call. I mean, a lot of people would say harden up and guts your way, you know, mm. through it and whatever. And I can understand that you do need mental toughness to be a high-profile athlete, and we all understand that. But to do this on the stage like this is a massive call, and good honour. Um, probably down the track, I hope this is not what she's going to be remembered for, but also people are going to clearly take into account what she has achieved in the past. And that's, that's the other part of the story that, this is a good thing. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And let's see where it goes. Um, let's hope she gets the chance to really tell her full story around it. And that'll be another thing there. And then young athletes can hang on to that and say, well, yes, you know, we're allowed to make decisions, tough decisions, and, and this is why we're doing it. So, yeah, I'll be, I'll be very interested in the full story that comes out of it just if she gets the chance to do that and, and, and then we can see, you know, what, what this whole thing is. See, I reckon me, you can Sorry, Sorry, I, I was just, just going to say, say, Suzanne. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you. The, the fact of the matter is, um, there's two things that I, I find unusual about this, Suzanne. Is that one, uh, we didn't see it coming uh, because her build-up has been so positive in everything she's been doing. She's been achieving feats that uh, in gymnastics that we just thought were going to roll on into the Olympics. The other thing about this uh, scenario is that we quite often, we quite often. Uh, hear about these things after the event. The fallout comes after the event when they've gone home, and it's uh, you know it's become too obvious for them. And we fear we hear about the symptoms emerging and the repercussions uh, well and truly down the track. This is actually at the event, and that's perhaps slightly different. Yeah, and and you you've got a feel for the rest of the USA gymnastics team who. You know, they were probably oblivious to this too. And, you know, suddenly the, their number one member of the team has gone. And, and, you know, with that, I think, went their gold medal in the women's team event. But like Richard said, you know, we don't know what's been going on in Simone Biles' head for the last, you know, week, month, even last couple of years. So this may have been building up to this point. And, yeah, it is a really um, unusual thing to do in the middle of a competition. I mean, we saw Naomi Osaka pull out, um, you know, when she, before she even played a game um, in the Open. So, you know, we're starting to see women taking a stand here. But I, I also, you know, listen to the voices that say, let's hope this doesn't become an excuse for poor competition. Um, and in this case, you know, one bad vault doesn't make you decide you're going to be out of there. But um, I'm listening to that argument as well. And, yeah, it's a really, really hard one. I don't, I, I'm not an athlete, you know, I've never been in that situation of being under incredible pressure to perform um, and to you know, to win gold. This wasn't about her just going out there and doing a good routine. The world expects her to win five or six golds from this, these Olympics. What the heck would that do with your your well-being, you know, with your mental well-being? So, gosh, you know, I was going to say before, um, you can bet there'll be a Netflix series coming out. <laughs> and we'll yeah. get to hopefully get to the bottom of it. But... Um, you know, she has put out a message there to young girls. You know, if you're not feeling okay, say something about it.
Actually, we're, got, we're going to go to the news very shortly, but I just, just uh, while you're there, Suzanne, uh, can we equate something across to Tonya Harding, who reacted in a totally different thing, the expectation of having to succeed? Another female American athlete who, uh, of course, history will show was a bit of a villain, uh, but is that about pressure as well? Was that, is that similar? Absolutely, yeah, an expectation. And um, especially, I think, in the U.S., you know, much more than here. Um, and what success means to you as an athlete in America, you know, what it brings with it. And um, that was obviously you know, part of what Tonya Harding wanted. She wanted the limelight. She wanted the fame and everything that came with it. And um, I guess very two very different situations. But, uh, yeah, I would say the same kind of pressures. Okay, that's uh, Suzanne McFadden, and also we've got Richard Nola with us. We're going to go to the news uh, right now, but when we come back, uh, they're going to stay with us, which is great, and we're going to talk about something on a slightly brighter note. We didn't get the silver, but I want to talk about, uh, we did get the silver, I want to talk about glorious and beautiful Fiji, particularly Richard Nola, uh, I'm sure, will have an opinion on that performance and just what that medal means to Fiji in their country. News now with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ten thirty-three here on SENZ. Just we've been talking about uh, the Simone Biles situation with uh, our panelists this morning, Suzanne McFadden uh, and Richard Nola. Uh, Richard, uh, let's talk on a slightly more positive note, shall we? Uh, it was not the gold for the Sevens team last night, but Fiji were absolutely outstanding and. Uh, I mean, you've been around the rugby scene for a long time. Uh, seldom have I ever seen emotion like that before and after a game. Yeah, yeah. and congratulations to Fiji too, given everything that's going on on the islands. Um, I, I don't think there'd be any, or many New Zealanders, if at all, that would begrudge them, you know, what transpired last night. And, yeah, what a performance by them. Um, yeah, they had emotion. It was something to see, wasn't it? It was um, crikey, when you think of rugby analogies, Perhaps even think back before that 95 World Cup final in Joburg when Mandela came out with the Springboks and just mm. what it meant to them and just what it meant to the Fijians and um, in their homeland. And they came out probably for me with a perfect game plan. I, I think that really rocked New Zealand. Um, just the kicking game. You don't often see that at all in, in sevens, as you know. And just with those little nudges in behind the line. Um, and New Zealand didn't really have a sweeper coming in behind to, to clean them up. It seemed to catch them by surprise, and I, I think New Zealand also, they will be disappointed with the way they played um, because they looked so good in that semi-final against Great Britain. They were they were clinical. They were, they were patient, especially in that first half against Great Britain. They just held the ball and keep pushing away, and, and just the pressure was too much. But when it came to the final, just those couple of mistakes, um, you know, and they conceded a couple of tries. You know, when Webb had lost the ball, and then New Stuff couldn't control the ball, and the end goal, you know, a couple of quick tries for Fiji. It was, it was tough. You know, it was really tough. And I, um, and I know New Zealand came back and they did very well to, to claw it back to get within striking distance at half time. But oh, Fiji, you know, the way they finished in that towards the end of the game, it was. Um, yeah, it was a great sight to see, and just their powerful runners. What a what a terrific effort there was to, at one point when they just blew down the left flank and then scored on the other side of the park. It was um, yeah, you can't help but 
feel for everything that they're going through. And, um, yeah, I just um, congratulate them. And it was, and the emotion after the full-time whistle and, the, and when they got the medals as well, it was probably one that, that's what makes the Olympic Games so great, isn't it? I, I just, yeah, mm. and well done to them. And uh, very tough for our guys. And I heard Carl Tanana on speaking on your show earlier on saying that it might be the end of the line for a couple of guys likes of, likes of the, one of the co-captains, um, Scott Curry, and that would be tough. And you could see the emotion on, on his face afterwards when he was being interviewed by Sky Sport, couldn't you? We could, um, the poor guy, he was absolutely shattered. But um, I think even when he reflects that they will probably never begrudge Fiji what they've achieved there last night. It was almost, uh, Susanna, an era of romance about it. And I don't often say that when New Zealand don't win, but uh, we've seen it uh, you know, previously with the, the Fiji 15s team. They were playing with emotion. So uh, signs of that. We shouldn't have uh, probably doubted the fact that they'd come out all guns blazing, but man, it was it almost brought me to tears. Oh yeah, how could you not cry? <laughs> you know, even before the game, these guys were in tears. Afterwards, on the podium, and they were singing their their um, special hymn that they sing before and after games. Oh, it was just a tear It was beautiful. And when you think about what those guys have been through, you know, they've been together as a team since Easter. They, you know, they haven't seen their families since then because of lockdown. And so uh, they got to Japan on a cargo plane with boxes of frozen fish. And, you know, what what their country is going through is, you know, we really can't relate to it. It, it must be absolutely... Devastating, and so uh, I absolutely applaud them. Um, I was sorry, New Zealand, but I was excited that they won because I think they needed it more than we did. And I know that the New Zealanders were absolutely gutted, but go our seven sisters now. It's their turn to win gold. Yeah, I think they're a big chance as well. But uh, Susanna, you'll be glued, I imagine, this afternoon because uh, w- women have already presented us with a silver in rowing. Uh, but today, I think uh, Prendergast and Gowler offer us uh, a chance of the big prize. And uh, I imagine you'll be pretty excited about that. And that'll be a big feature of Locker Room going forward if that eventuates. It will, it will. And I really do think they will take the gold. They're going to be pushed by the Greeks who... Um, stole their world record for about half an hour, if that, yesterday. Um, and Gala and Prendergast got it back. They're determined. They're the world champions. And I don't think, you know, they won't, they'll, won't settle for anything but gold today. And I think it'll open, you know, the floodgates for more medals at rowing. We've got uh, the two eights coming up. And Emma Twig. Emma Twig's in the semi-final of the single skulls today. I think she'll breeze through into the final. And I think she'll finally get on that podium after four years. And then, you know, then we're really, really on the board. And, um, God, we've still got Lisa Carrington to come. We've got the athletics and uh, Val Adams and Tom Walsh. I think that we're, uh, we're on the road now to... Yeah, I don't know if we will win as many medals as we won in Rio, which I think was 18, but um, I think we'll be there or thereabouts. Uh, Richard, just finally, uh, away from the Olympics, um, I know you'll have uh, an opinion on this for sure. Um, The Shannon Frizzell scenario, were you happy with what eventuated from the rugby union on that? 
I was a little bit surprised. I mean, I know he's had a two-game suspension. I was a little bit surprised they took one game that he stood down from the Highlanders into account with that um, because initially when the allegation came out um, into the media, the Highlanders, they had a game coming up, and I can't remember who it was against, but they said, look, Shannon Frizzell, he's going to stand down from this. Um, uh, and they said, look, while the investigation is, you know, sort of happening, and of course that happened at the same time as those terrible events uh, in the supermarket when um, an assailant took a knife in there and attacked some people. So the police were very busy. So my understanding was they didn't have time to investigate the Frizzell incident, okay, and we probably all thought, okay, well, Frizzell's going to stand down to get his head clear and just let this thing blow over. So, okay, so now he's taken diversion, um, uh, for the after the alleged assault in the Dunedin District Court, then they say come out and they say he's, he's suspended for two games. They're taking that earlier game for the Highlanders into account. Um, yeah, I'm just not sure. I wonder if they perhaps would have been better to say, look, he missed two games for the All Blacks. That might have sent a bit of a stronger message. Um, so he's going to miss the first Bledisloe Cup game. That's going to be the one in Auckland on I think it's August seven. That's probably my my feeling on it. I um, I don't know the full circumstances around it. I do remember at the time the the Highlanders CEO Roger Clark when he spoke to media, reading and listening to the reports, he said he'd be surprised if um, Frizzell would be charged for the incident, having seen, I presume he saw CCTV footage or speaking to all parties. So. When you, you try to piece all these parts together, don't you, and, you, and try to figure out what's going on. But um, at the end of the day, they have stood him down, um, and he is, you know, he's got diversion and get on with it. But on a final note, um, I do think this is another sort of, um, not a warning shot for the Highlanders, but just in recent times when there's been players getting up to mischief whether it be last year during one of their buys, they had players um, acting up at a, a motel in Queenstown. Um, and obviously then during the Super Rugby season, Tony Brown stood down a bunch of players for, uh, well, they wouldn't actually tell us the exact reasons for it, but obviously they, they had that party house in a, uh, in a residential suburb and that, that was reported on. And now we've got the Frizz Hell incident Something probably needs to be tidied up a, a wee bit down there. Um, I'm a bit loath to really go putting the boot in because rugby teams are so high profile that we do jump on anything. But perhaps something just has to be tidied up down there. I'd like, I wouldn't like to see any more of these incidents this year or even the next 12 months or the next 24 months, to be honest. I'm getting a little bit tired of it. So you know, I hope I've made my point. And I'm sure the Highlanders are aware of that yeah. as well. But it's, um, it's just, yeah. It just seems to be coming out of one team, and it would be good if we didn't hear too much more of it in the future. Thanks. Yeah, and thanks to indeed uh, to Richard Nola and to Suzanne McFadden. They've been the panelists this morning. Absolutely uh, fascinating their insights into a couple of key subjects of the day. Now, thanks very much for your text as well. Uh, I'm going to read them out very shortly. 8833 is the number, uh, and that uh, there's some very, very good ones that, that have come through this morning. Also, if you want to call us at 0800 150 811, uh, you could be caller of the month, and we promise you, courtesy of Ballpark Entertainment, uh, an All Blacks experience. We can't uh, guarantee you'll get to Perth, because we don't even know if the All Blacks are going to Perth, so we won't be guaranteeing that just right now. And 
We've just heard on the news there that the situation in Sydney is absolutely no better. Uh, another four weeks of lockdown there. So, yeah. Uh, coming up, uh, we're going to talk to Louis Herman Watt. We're going to make a visit to the TAB, uh, and we'll get uh, more of your calls and texts coming through, hopefully. Uh, and that leads us to uh, the end of a very busy hour here as we approach 11 o'clock. Thing, without injury, you half do a somersault, look out. Uh, it's an interesting article worth a read. Cheers for that, Mike. Uh, and on another couple of subjects, uh, morning in, great show. I've been amazed at the quality of sailing. The mono and multi-holes just flying around those courses in good breeze, right on the edge the whole way. It's been absolutely brilliant. But has our performance been that brilliant? And just finally, just finally, uh, Ian, can we please have some mention of Rebecca Pitch, who is racing today in the BMX. She's ranked eighth in the world, a serious medal chance. There's no mention from anyone. Well, she has from us now. Uh, absolutely fantastic role model for our community in BMX and in Te Awamutu. She's a full-time athlete and training to be a police officer at the tender age of just 22. She sounds fantastic and good luck to Rebecca Pitch. We'll be back shortly. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> 10.55 a.m. here on, well, it won't be 10.55 p.m. because I'd be asleep, wouldn't I? Silly idiot. 10.55 a.m. Uh, and uh, it's time to join the, uh, up with the, the man and our whole team who looks most like a horse, Louis Herman Watt. Uh, <laughs> Louis, good morning to you. Uh, they're running around uh, today at Hawapuni. I've got one in the last. I think Billy Gleeson will win the last with Kasuda. Sarah McNabb riding for Peter Didham so, uh, in Billy Gleeson's colours. Uh, I think you'll get value for that too. Kasuda in the last at Awapuni, what have you got, my friend? You know, I was worried about coming on with you, Smithy, after Baz had a crack at you to part our show, and I was worried I was mm. going to wear the brunt of it, Baz's bad behaviour. But I'm glad you've been nice to me and not called me a horse or anything. Um, Kasuda, you're getting four eighty a dollar ninety there. I'm actually going to go out and limb and say Peter Didham at least is going to have a double then, because I quite like Heidi Bell in the fourth. Uh, ran really nice race. On the synthetic. So we are going from a synthetic to a heavy 11, which is the only concern. But I did catch my eye. So when I saw it in this field, I was curious. I've only opened it at $3.60, which is pretty skinny. But I reckon Peter Didham could have a good day. Good trainer, Peter, isn't he? Yeah, he is a good trainer, actually. Um, it'll be pretty heavy down there in, in Awapuni. Uh, and Central Districts Racing, I think, needs a, a, a bit of a boost, you guys up north. Uh, particularly with the launcher of uh, yesterday's synthetic track, the the absolute launch of it. So that, that was a big day. Uh, I'm looking forward. What about the racing awards? The racing awards coming up too, uh, Louis? I actually asked, got asked to compare those, but I wasn't able to do it. I think Kate Goldie's doing it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure who else is. Well, but, um, you'd be a good host. You'd be a good host, actually. But <laughs> oh, thanks, racing really. awards, horse of the year for you? Uh, of the year for you? Probably, hands down. Do you know, I actually got asked to, to be on the voting panel. First time, very privileged. Um, for, thank you for the love racing for that. Yeah, probably, hands down, best horse in the country. A couple of group ones in Australia last season. What an absolute marvel of a mare she is, and she might not have even shown her best yet. So probably, but there's some great categories. And, of course, the Horse of the Year Award is actually the SENZ Horse of the Year Award. How good's that? How very good's good. that? Uh, our our mentor, our uh, our big man Hutchie, fronting up with some freight for a horse of the year. Actually, I got a text from uh, Brenna McCallum. Lucky you're not drinking, otherwise I'd cop a real hiding. You're going to cop one anyway, pal. Don't worry about that. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
It's 11.03 here on SCNZ. Later in the hour, we're going to be talking to Brooke Donoghue, silver medalist yesterday in Tokyo, and perhaps with a view on a possible gold later this afternoon in our women's pair. So, so exciting, uh, the prospect of that. Uh, just listening to Trudy's news, it was interesting to hear that the Mace will be in Palmerston North. Of course, the Mace was named after Michael Mason, and Michael Mason is uh, Manawatu's, one of Manawatu's favourite cricketing sons. So I wonder if Mace will get to touch the Mace, uh, as it were, this afternoon. On a cricketing note, I'm very, very pleased, I'm thrilled in fact, and privileged to uh, introduce to you folks now uh, one of my great teammates, a great tourist, I spent a lot of my summers uh, with this guy, admiring him and uh, his dedication to the cause. Uh, I can't build him up any much more than that uh, because uh, he'll probably hang up. John Wright is with us, uh, former New Zealand cricket captain, former New Zealand cricket coach, uh, man of uh, all parts, uh, a fantastic rugby player as well in his own right. Uh, but it's cricket we're going to talk about mainly this morning. But first of all, Wrighty, thank you for joining me. Uh, where are you and what are you up to uh, these days? Uh, I'm, oh, morning, Smithy. Um, you've changed. You're very kind. Um, I'm stuck in, in Christchurch or Canterbury. Um, I'm on my 60 acres with my 50 cows waiting for a jab. Um, and, um, you know, it's not a bad place to be, to be honest. Uh, particularly with all this, um, this dreadful COVID going around. Um, normally, uh, yeah, uh, it, 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 it's had you know it's changed a lot of our lives, I think, in many ways. Uh, that's one of the subjects I wanted to talk to you about because you have uh, a great passion for cricket, and and Indians have a great passion for cricket, and you have a great passion for India, and they are going through uh, a really tough time, righty. Uh, and a lot of the people that you have uh, come in contact with, who you know. Uh, will be have been greatly affected. Have you been able to have any contact with with those people? And and uh, can you imagine what it's like in India? Um, well, I I'd still um, for the last seven years I've worked for Mumbai Indians, and, and you know I've, I've spent three months every year out there, um, you know, trying to get our squads together and, and watching first class cricket. And he's uh, still engaged, but. It, you know, for instance, the last auction we had, we did most of our planning by Zoom, um, and now we're faced with the decision of um, the back end of the IPL will probably be in Dubai, and um, and then following after that there will be another big auction, and the various franchises will again have to scout the teams in, in India. But I mean, you know, it, it has been tough. Uh, the realities of um, so being in India, uh, it's pretty harsh, um, and um, you, yeah, so it's greatly affected uh, a lot of the people that I know, um, not directly, but directly with their families and, and things like that, and uh, even during the last, uh, the first part of the IPL, I think it was quite difficult because there were a number of players on many of the franchises that had close family members affected with COVID and, and, and uh, for instance, um, Piyush Chawla, who we have, he's a leg spinner. Uh, he plays for Mumbai. Um, his father succumbed to, to COVID during the competition, so that's the reality uh, of, of life with this, um, this terrible virus. So it, it has an effect, and um, I suppose um, for my sins... Uh, 
I'm president of Derbyshire County Cricket Club, have been for the last two years, and I haven't managed to get to England or Derbyshire to see a ball bowled. So, so um, yeah. it, it's it's a little bit different. Righty, uh, one of the other things, of course, you have been in your illustrious career, both uh, as a player and a coach, is the coach of India. I'm not sure there in, in sport there are too many more high-pressure jobs with the expectations uh, of uh, what that Indian team is supposed to do. I, I hasten to add, supposed to do. Uh, now, you're probably, for that reason, most qualified of anyone around here to talk about what cricket means to India and why they, they tried to play it as long as they possibly could um, before reality set in? Um, well, it's very much part of Indian life. Um, you go anywhere um, and you'll see a game of cricket. Sometimes it's played with sticks and a stone um, or a tennis ball. For instance, um, one of the villages we, we visited... Um, with a charity, um, the, the 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 kids um, they couldn't they struggled to to add do arithmetic or, or or their reading wasn't strong, but they knew every one of the Indian players, and there was one television set in the in the village which was uh, connected directly to the power lines, uh, and that's where they watched their cricket. So it's it's very much, I suppose, in New Zealand terms we. Rugby comes to mind um, in football, Brazil, uh, in India, it's cricket. Um, and it also, they love their team, they love their players, and it gives many of them a sense of pride and a sense of hope when that they do well at it. Um, and it's it's just, uh, it's part of their culture, I suppose, and for some reason, um, Indians seem to love cricket. And, of course, now... Um, they're very good at the business side of cricket, where they, you know, they understand the dynamics of the finances of how to create a competition, a world-class competition, how to protect it, um, and so the IPLs evolved, um, which has been great for so many cricketers from all nations, from the point of view of, of, of you know, particularly um, our, our country, uh, Sri Lanka. South Africa, West Indies, um, where they can earn, you know, good money um, and perhaps buy a house at their career at the end of their career. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just part of life in India. Righty, uh, one of your other roles, and you've, you've had so many um, and done them all brilliantly well, is it's basically to be a scout, to look for talent, to look for to go out into to the nether regions and look for something special. Uh, now, a lot of people may not realise this, some do, but you discovered Jasprit Bumrah. What did you see when, and what were your impressions when you first saw this guy running in with this unusual action, I think it's fair to say, um, and he has paid tribute to you, uh, and certainly in, in two or three interviews I've heard, uh, for giving him the opportunity. Uh, what did you see? What were your first impressions? Uh, well, I was, I was, uh, I'd just been appointed... Um the coach um, was in El Kumbla at Mumbai, so we were up there and um, I, I attended uh, the Western Zone T20 tournament where there are eight teams because India has about 38 first-class provinces and they're all played zonally, Western, Southern, Central, Northern, Eastern. So I was at the Western Zone in Ahmedabad and I was watching the back end of a game and Mumbai were playing Gujarat 
and Mumbai was easily going to win the game. But there was this kid that ran off quite a short run up, and he bowled two overs of Yorkers at quite a strong pace. And, um, and all he did was try and bowl Yorkers, which is quite a valuable ball in, in, in T20 particularly. And one of those deliveries hit the other bowler's footmarks at the other end and went for four buys way over um, part of Patel's head. And, and I, so I, he really interested me because I think sometimes when you're looking at so many players, and you see it in different sports, you look for something that's a little bit different or something that's a little bit special. And what he had was pace. And the other thing was he was trying to bowl basically 12 Yorkers on the trot. And he did it quite quite well. So I had a chat with part of Patel, who was the captain of Gujarat and who had been in the Indian team I coached. And, and part of was captain of um, Gujarat. And I said, well, who's that kid? And he said, oh, that's Boom. <laughs> who's Boom? He said, it's Jasper. He's Jasper Boomer. He was 18 years of age. And, and I, said, oh, is, I said, is he any good? And part of a, a guy that I really rate. He now works for our organisation. He's just retired, and he's joined us, and he's got a very sharp cricket mind, and he's a person that um, I trust, and um, so I, I ran a, a crowd, and that was before players had to go through the auction. Now they all have to go the, through the auction, but in those days, you could just sign them if you saw someone promising. So I rang uh, Raul Sangui in Mumbai and said, look, I've seen this kid. I think we should have a look at him. So we signed him overnight, and, and, and he joined it, and uh, he was very young. And in those days, uh, our first game in IPL, we played in Bangalore, and the squad came with us, including Jasper. And so our players saw him for the first time, and he was very raw. But I I asked him to bowl against Sachin Tendulkar, and it was music to my ears because at the end of the net, Sachin came up to me and said, you know, John, that kid, he's really hard to pick up. So that's how it all started. But it, it's taken a long time. Um, he, was, he was really with us for four, four or five years. And the great thing about IPL is that on all the staffs, um, they have, well, we've got a fantastic physical conditioner, a guy called Paul Chapman, who comes from Australia. Um, we have good physiotherapy. Uh, we have uh, spent a lot of time in, in getting our players back to freshness for each game, so there's a lot of massage, there's those sorts of things. And Jasper grew up in that environment where literally for the first three or four years with Mumbai, he spent most of the time in the gym just getting stronger, getting a little bit of confidence, and then interacting with players like Tim Southey was there for a year, Mitchell Johnson, and of course Malinga. Um, Lassie had a huge influence on um, Jasper's career, and now, of course, Shane Bond's our bowling coach. So, you know, when young players are placed in an environment, and they can come from many different countries, they've got a wonderful opportunity to interact and learn from each other uh, predominantly, because I think that's the best type of coaching when you're learning off your peers. And then, of course, from a conditioning point of view, um, that was the one thing that has probably moved on most in India since the early 2000s. Is really the conditioning of the cricketers are much stronger and much fitter. They feel a lot better. And also their, their fast bowling is a lot more dominant than it used to be. 
Righty, can we just move to the New Zealand side now briefly? Um, <coughs> I, I look at this side, it's pretty complete to me. I, I, I believe it or not, if I was looking to strengthen this side, I'd add someone like John Bracewell into it uh, because he's so competitive. <laughs> but uh, He's yeah, an aggressive off-spinner who genuinely turns the ball and I think would, his type of player uh, would be the beautiful complement to the squad that we've got at the moment. Uh, that achievement to win the World Test Championship over a uh, very powerful Indian side, including Bumrah, uh, where does it rate for you? Is it is it the, the best achievement we've had in the game? Well, I think so. I, I, I mean, we were very fortunate in, in, the, in the teams leading up to it. I mean, Stephen Fleming's team won the um, Champions Trophy. We were lucky and we toured England and New Zealand and never won in England or never won in Australia. So we had the opportunity to do some first things, you know, things that hadn't been done before. And this team has done exactly that. Um, and to, to be top of the pile, I think, you know, we've never done really that uh, ever. It wasn't the competition. But the other thing that's very impressive about this side is they're very consistent. Um, you know, they string wins together. Um, you know, um, and that, that is a real sign of a good side. I, 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 I think... Um, you know, I'm so pleased for them because um, I, I think they're an outstanding uh, group of young cricketers and, and a group of lads, um, you know, who, who've done remarkably well and, and the consistency is... is, is and I went to see them train just before they left. They were training at, at Lincoln. Um, and it was the first time I, I met Conway, for instance. I mean, he's going to add an enormous amount to this side and with Kyle Jameson coming in and, and just developing like he is they're going to be a very very strong side and, and, and perhaps you're right um, with the spin area um, but then again they won in Dubai they beat Pakistan a couple of years back at the start of Gary Stead's uh, tenure with Ejaz um, you know Patel and he's, he's, he's done very well and you know the, the Sodi and the, the off spinner uh, some field there so you know, I think I think it's really exciting, and it's great for New Zealand. Um, you know, our, our cricket lovers uh, to have a team that you know is genuine. Well, now world champions, and I think um, I think I saw you on the television, Smithy, um, talking about. Um, well, how exciting is it for this side to go over and have a crack at the Aussies, or vice versa, then come here? I think that's what I'm really looking forward to too. So, um, oh, it's it's wonderful, and I hope that they're getting many people around the country, because um, it's a little bit after the event, um, going up and congratulating them because they, they really deserve it. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and, and I, I'm right up there. I believe it's uh, top of the ladder in terms of, of what we've been able to achieve. I believe we've got a uh, the, probably the, uh, one of the better units that we've ever likely to assemble, in the, and it looks yeah. like um, we can, even if we hold on to Ross Taylor a bit longer and, and Neil Wagner... Uh, we've got some good days ahead. Righty, just in reflection, um, you know, we're of an age now where we're starting to lose teammates and, and adversaries, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, Bob Willis, uh, yes. uh, you know, yeah. uh, one of our great uh, adversaries and a man to be admired, uh, sadly uh, passed away uh, not that long ago, and they're paying tribute to him um, over in England uh, as mm. we speak with a new foundation, etc. But you, you lost another good yeah. mate and, and a really fine bowler, a really fine teammate just recently in Mike Hendrick. Yeah, Mike was um, Mike was my Derbyshire ta uh, 
teammate. Um, I first went to Derbyshire as a 22-year-old. I was really green. Uh, I roomed with Mike that first year, and uh, in my first Test match uh, for New Zealand, the, uh, I was playing for New Zealand, and there was Bob Taylor and Jeff Miller and Mike Hendrick on the English side. And um, yeah, Mike had uh, bowel cancer, and uh, about three, three or four years ago, he got it, and then had an operation and sort of, sort of got through it. But it, it came back, and um, it is, it is um, a bit sobering. Um, Bob Taylor sent me a wonderful. A video that just recently they they got together about ten days ago uh, in um, a pub in, in Matlock, which is in Derbyshire, a lovely lovely village. And um, there were seven or eight of Michael's um, team English teammates there, and a lot of Derbyshire players just just to to celebrate uh, with them and say you know good day. And people like Ian Bowson, David Gow, Bob Taylor, um, John Lever. Uh, a number of them you know all the names um, yeah, it is um, and and it is quite sobering Smithy so I think we've got to enjoy life and the other guy that um, closer to home too was Wes Armstrong um, he was the mm. groundsman at the yeah. Basin Reserve and Wes died just recently um, what a hell of a good guy he was I mean um, what a ground I mean um, it was back in the day when you could um go and have a chat to the groundsman and say, I think you need a bit of grass off this wicket or, or, or this and that. He was a tremendous character. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, time moves on. Um, and uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I suppose it's life, isn't it? It is. It's life. Um, and life uh, wouldn't have been the same. Cricketing life wouldn't have been the same without uh, the legendary John Wright. I, I thank him so much for his time this morning. He gave us plenty of it. Just small insights there into his uh, love of the game, his love of uh, the people in India, how close he has been um, to that. Cricket will never leave John Wright, um, and uh, hopefully we have John Wright for a a long, long time to come because uh, if you ever want to have a chat and you ever see John Wright talk about cricket, he the man. He is the man. Uh, Right, it's uh, coming up to uh, 21 minutes past 11 here on SENZ. Uh, now's the time to text in. We've had some great ones, We've really great ones uh, come in. And uh, your calls as well, well, uh, well, we welcome those. 0800 150 811. Don't forget, later in the hour, we hopefully will be talking to Brooke Donoghue, silver medalist yesterday uh, in Tokyo. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 1127 uh, 0800 150811 is the number. Just by calling, you can possibly win an All Blacks experience with us, uh, thanks to Ballpark Entertainment, uh, one of our friends here, part of the team here at SCNZ, the new team in town. Uh, texts have been coming in uh, on quite uh, some serious and sombre notes, actually, uh, and we're encouraging those. Uh, hi, Smithy, get this one. Uh, no name attached to it. Please, uh, if you, uh, you want your name read out, don't... Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, there's no shame or, or anything involved. Uh, these are, are life situations, particularly the one we've been uh, referring to today, Simon Biles. How about this? Uh, hey, Smithy, I know how pressure can affect performance. I was a rep rugby, cricket, basketball player, and during that time, never really a moment of nerves. But I won a world title at 14 for solo drumming, and going to Scotland to defend that title and the weight of expectation at that age, goodness me, just crushed me. It was a little thing. My drumsticks were lost in travel, and it just started the slide in confidence till I just couldn't force myself 
onto the stag. I carried that shame for years till a life crisis got me to counselling and I was able to understand it and pack it away. Great show. Uh, yeah, well, there's something so diverse, John, that um, you know that comes really out of left field for me, that one. It was uh, very, very interesting indeed, but uh, it, it has been uh, an emotive subject and, and all sorts of things going on in America regarding this Simone Biles thing. Yeah, 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 mate, it's been absolutely uh, full on and a lot of people just trying to understand it. We're bringing a lot of education to the show, aren't we, Smithy? Last couple of weeks we've talked about Laurel Hubbard, which has divided a lot of opinion, um, and Simone Biles as well. It's just understanding, first and foremost, I think. Uh, empathy is a beautiful thing, and the more you can try and put yourself into the shoes of others, I know it's hard when it's a five-time Olympic medalist uh, and a gymnast or a transgender athlete, but if you can try and see the world from their point of view, uh, that's probably a good start. We're going to need empathy uh, because Laurel Hubbard's coming up uh, really uh, in the future, isn't she? Imagine what's going through her mind. And what she's seeing as she sees the Simone Biles thing uh, pan out over there in Tokyo. Chris is on the line from Hamilton. Uh, good morning to you, Chris. Yeah, morning, Smitty. Um, she's what, an interesting uh, what is... Simone Biles, though. Yeah. Tell us a wee bit more about yeah. it. Well, <laughs> I think your panel hit it on the head. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot of factors involved. Um, there's no... And going back, something I don't think anyone's mentioned this morning, that she was also part of that athlete A thing with the coach and all that fallout from the last Olympics. Mm. That, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, she, she's the last one left of that. Um, and so you add that to, obviously, the pressure she's under with performing and everything else. And one of the panellists talked about the danger factor too if you're not in the right headspace with gymnastics. Like, 15 years ago, I was all for one of these harden up guys, you know, just suck it up and get get on with it, but I think even for these athletes, um, which has changed from real time too, so there's no getting away from it, you know, there's social media pressure, there's no there's no downtime obviously for these guys, so, um, I mean it's a pretty big call to pull out of the Olympics but, um, yeah it, it's tough, it's a tough one to judge and, I mean um, yeah, like I said, my, my mindset on the whole thing's really changed over the last 15 years, going through a bit of this sort of stuff myself at times and you, you can't describe what you're going through to other people or how it affects you, but to make a call to stop yourself is, is, is a pretty big call, I think, in considering the, the situation and the, the eyes on her, the spotlight she's under at the Olympics. Totally agree, Chris. Wonderful sentiments there, and I think all of us uh, are going to experience that in, in life. Um, thanks for calling in so much. Uh, you can also call now if you want to stump Smithy. Uh, have a crack at it. Stump me if you can. Um, it's been a fair degree of success, I think it's fair to say, but uh, heading towards the end of the week and not having much success with my multis, I've got to win at something for sure. Uh, so I'll be trying pretty hard this morning. Make that call, 0800 150 811, and have a crack at me if you like. People used to go pay 30 bucks to have a crack at me, actually, uh, and abuse me. It's 11.31 here on SENZ, and it's news time with Trudy. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go, Smithy. You haven't been winning your multis too often, but you have been a troublesome wicketkeeper in Stumped by Smithy, where we get callers on the line, and today we have got Simon from Auckland. G'day, Simon. G'day, boys. How you going? 
We're going very well. Oh, I'm going well. Smithy got absolutely ransacked by Brendan McCullum just before our shift. Did you hear that? No, I missed that, actually. I missed earlier. Oh, yeah. Well, Smithy's recovered well, though. You fe still feeling good, Smithy? Yeah, Simon, hang in there for payback, mate, over probably tomorrow morning. morning. Just to ruin his weekend, I think I'll nail him on something that's been festering away there. So uh, maybe tomorrow morning, just before 9 o'clock. Uh, JD? What are we into today? What sports? All right, Simon. Three sporting categories, then get three questions right, and you win a $50 TAB voucher today. Your sports are cricket, Summer Olympics, and tennis. What are you going to go for? Um, I'll go tennis. Tennis. Nice. I like it. Let's get it started. All right, Simon. Question number one. Who has won the most Grand Slam singles titles? Um, definitely the big three. Um, in the men's or? No, just who has won the most Grand Slam singles titles? Oh, okay. Um, would it be Serena Williams? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, it is not Serena Williams. She is chasing this person, though. Uh, Smithy, an opportunity for a stumping. Right, OK. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you might be going female here. Uh, so I'm going to say... I'll, I'll go Martina Navratilova. He's got him. He's out court. No, Smithy, missed the stumping. You've both missed out there, so you do get a life, Simon. You'll go on to the second question. It is Margaret Court. She has got uh, that arena named after her in Australia. She has won 24 Grand Slam singles titles. Serena Williams, 23. All right, Simon, question number oh. two. Who is the defending US Open men's champion? US Open. Um, this year. Um... It's the one that's coming up next. Novak Djokovic has won all three Grand Slams this year. I'll give you a, a hint. It wasn't him. Nah, it wasn't him. Nah. Um, was it uh, the Austrian guy? Uh, Dominic Thiem? There he goes! All the way up into the stand. One ahead in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. Beautiful, mate. You've come charging out of the crease. I was a bit worried about you, but you've smashed that for six. Dominic team, absolutely. <laughs> Djokovic got disqualified for hitting a lines person with a ball. And Dominic team That's went right, on to yeah. win. All right. And for the win, for the $50 voucher, who was the first unseeded player to win Wimbledon? Um, is that men or women? Or? This is men. Yep. First, the first, did you say? Yep, the first unseeded player to win Wimbledon. Uh, I'm going to say the big German, Boris Becker. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That is a beautiful answer, absolutely. Boris Becker in 1985 as a 17-year-old won Wimbledon, yeah. unseeded. So well done to you, Simon. You are a winner. $50 TAB voucher if you hold on to the line. Well done. Thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. Smithy, that was impressive. That was. I wouldn't have got that. I was going to go somewhere like obscure. I, I thought there was a reason you were asking that question, John. I thought I was going to. 
I might have even thought I was going to go somewhere like Anthony Wilding or something way back because the first player, I can't believe it's as late as that, that the first unseeded player has won Wimbledon. So I, I was, that was what was going through my mind. I thought there was a method of my madness there, but completely and utterly wrong. Look, uh, that was, uh, yeah, good. Well done, mate. Simon, congratulations. You got me again. So spend that 50 bucks wisely. Uh, it's 11.38 here on SDNZ, and very shortly uh, we go to a silver medalist in Tokyo. It'll be Brooke Donoghue after the break. The voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.43 here on SENZ, and with greatest respect to all our guests in the last uh, two hours and 45 minutes, uh, this is going to be the highlight of the show for me. Not very often you talk to an Olympic medalist, uh, and we're able to do that now as we cross live to Tokyo. Uh, and so very good morning to Brooke Donoghue. 24 hours on. Brooke, how does it feel to have been standing on that dais? <laughs> um, it still honestly feels amazing. I can't even believe it's happened now. <laughs> Look, you formed this team with uh, Hannah Osborne very late in the piece in terms of Olo Olympic build-ups, but the way that you've gelled together, it's been quite spectacular. You must be thrilled with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, coming into the double together, we you know, had to get on the same page very quickly, and that was our coach doing that um, the whole way along we've literally just been giving it at all and at the end of the day we did our best yesterday so we're both just thrilled I'll get onto the race itself shortly but to be honest uh, you know you're a product of Tika Fodder College and the Mercer Rowing Club I think you started <laughs> rowing at the age of about 15 uh, could you ever at that stage envisage yourself standing on an Olympic dais I mean that just must have seemed so far off. Yeah, honestly, it was a dream of mine, like, pretty much from day one. Um, my science teacher was um, Eric Murray's dad. So instead of uh, oh. doing science, I would <laughs> just chat to him the whole time about rowing, and um, I was doing science with him in 2012 when he went to watch Eric at the London Olympics. Um, so, yeah, it's been pretty inspiring, and, yeah, it's something that I've, worked towards for the past 11 years. I can, I can hear the joy in your voice and, uh, you know, reliving those things is just a beautiful thing. Uh, look, you, you lined up uh, yesterday uh, against, um, you know, a very, very strong field. Uh, let's just go through the race. I'm sure you've, you've, you've sat down and, and, and gone through it yourself um, mentally a number of times. A relatively slow start, was that part of the plan? Um, honestly, I actually haven't watched the race back, um, but oh, in the double, we notoriously have a bit of a slow start, even when we were trying to <laughs> give it a few more kicks out of there, um, but I guess our speed comes in that middle K, um, and we knew Romania was going to be really tough. We'd watched them at the World Cups and at European Champs, so I don't know whether it's an advantage that they had. They've you know done a little bit more racing this year than us, um, but they're always going to be strong, and I think just knowing that we had our best race, like Hannah and I were absolutely cooked by the end of that. Um, yeah, we were <laughs> happy to come away with that medal. Uh, we're talking to Brock Donoghue, silver medalist yesterday, uh, along with Hannah Osborne uh, and the women's double skulls. Uh, I, I was just looking at, at the course itself. I, I mean, it, it obviously it's new. It takes a bit of getting used to. It looked a bit choppy yesterday. Yeah, it was. Um 
this course has a bit of a predominant sidewind coming down it. Um, as the racing went on, though, the um, tailwind picked up, and there were some really, really fast times yesterday afternoon. And I'm down here at the course now, actually. We've got a few New Zealand crews coming up, and it's looking like a pretty good tailwind. So I think we're in for a good day. Tell us, how have you been able to celebrate uh, so far? Because, I mean, obviously because of the virus, it's, it's a whole different scenario in terms of the, the village or even in the rowing contingent. Uh, how have you celebrated? Who, who have you heard from? <laughs> no, it was really special yesterday to um, FaceTime. We have both talked to our parents and our partners and had so many messages. <laughs> like, I've never had an inbox so full um, and that was just really special. Um, as well, we got an amazing um, haka welcome in at the village, which literally had Hannah and I in tears. Um, it was so emotional. And, you know, at that time with your teammates, like it feels like you're surrounded by family. And it's just such a typical like such a proud moment as a Kiwi. So how do you, how have you planned a celebration? Uh, what's, what's your movements now? Because uh, my understanding is that you have to leave the the, um, the area within 48 hours of, of your final event as such. So w what are your plans going forward and, and have you planned a celebration with your partners and your family? Um, we don't have any planned celebrations, but I can't imagine there'll be something when we get home. Um, yeah, we're on a flight out this Sunday, so we're pretty lucky we can finish watching the rest of the team, uh, like the rowing team. Yeah, we'll be soaking in as much of the games as we can before we leave. You can be Johnny on the spot for us now. What are conditions like today? It's such an important afternoon for us. Yeah, so we've got the women's here coming down in about uh, just under an hour, and it's a bit of a tail crosswind, but our pair is honestly uh, incredible, such technical rowers. I think they'll crush it. I hope they'll crush it too because uh, the silver was fantastic. It would love, it'd be great for us to get uh, a gold on board. Uh, and we're talking about um, the possibility here of uh, Grace Prendergast and, and Kerry Gowler, who uh, are racing in the pairs very, very shortly, uh, as, as uh, Brooks says, uh, within the next hour. Um, look, it's just just such a, a fantastic uh, achievement. I, I, I can't get over it. Uh, the, the Olympic medal situation. I, I, I'm buzzing, you can probably pick it up. And I think the whole of New Zealand is buzzing as well. Uh, and in terms of uh, the, the overall situation in the rowing group, it, it's uh, it's been a, a pretty successful campaign, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it has. Um, I think for us, with that extra year delay, um, it's been a huge year, like mentally and physically. Um, and everyone's done like the absolute best. And or all the training we put on back at home to be here to perform our I think is, yeah, paying off. What now then, uh, going ahead, uh, early days I'm sure, but uh, it must have fueled an appetite for you. Uh, Brock Donoghue and Hannah Osborne, that combination, what can we expect going ahead? What, are, what have you got planned? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> having a day like yesterday definitely makes you, I mean, catch the bug all over again. I mean, if every day could be like that, it'd be pretty special, but there's a fair few hard days of training between now and Paris, but I think, yeah, for Hannah and I, we're going to you know, have a think about it, but more than likely we'll be back. I hope you are. I really hope you are. The whole of New Zealand hopes you're back because uh, 
you did something very special, not just for yourselves, but for us uh, sitting at home watching as well. And for the sport of rowing, uh, Brooks, thank you. Thank you for taking uh, just a little bit of time to speak to us this morning. Uh, and let's hope uh, you, along with the rest of us, can taste even more success this afternoon. Uh, go well, stay safe, uh, and thanks again. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for that. It's Brooke Donoghue, folks. Uh, doesn't she sound great? And doesn't she sound still? You could hear the, the, the little giggle in her voice still bubbling over that achievement. And why not? Why not? Uh, a dream that started and was hatched at Tikapota College and the Mercer Rowing Club at the age of 15. Great. Absolutely great. Uh, when we come back from uh, this break, it'll be staffy time as we look forward to what's coming up between 12 and 4 this Thursday afternoon. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.57 here on SENZ as we charge towards midday uh, this Thursday morning. Uh, our Olympic updates on Kiwi athletes, they're brought to us by Choices Flooring's Visualizer Room View. It's the easiest way to help you transform your home with your new flooring and your rugs. That means I'm going to give you an update, and I can tell you Ryan Fox has just teed off the first uh, uh, in his round and his quest for a medal uh, in Tokyo. He has nailed his drive. He has nailed his drive. He's hit it 70 to 80 metres past his playing partners, C.T. Pan and Anabun Lahiri, uh, and uh, he looks in great shape maybe to make a birdie. He's chasing down uh, Straka from Austria, who's three under after six holes, so he's made a flying start. Uh, Mark Stafford, speaking of flying starts, uh, he's uh, going to make one after midday today. Uh, Staffy, uh, what have you got lined up? For, uh, first of all, uh, you'll have an opinion on Simone Biles, I, I, I'm sure, but uh, that and what else have you got lined up for us, my old mate? Yeah, the Simone Biles. I actually heard you kick off your show this morning, Smithy, while I was in the car, and I actually thought we might have differing views on this. I actually think mm. she almost deserves a gold medal for her leadership, and this is what you do when you have your uh, doubts, and it's okay to pull out if things are a bigger beast than what you can control. I actually think she will have a more universal effect on especially young women, young athletes around the world by saying why she's pulling out and by the fact she's pulling out and what that says. That'll have more effect than actually winning a gold medal for inspiring. It's 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 a different it's a huge stage she's on. And like you, I'm no gymnastics nuffy, but I was really looking forward to, you know, the the huge reputation she's got and prepared to be marvelled. I mean, she was being talked about in, in the same realm as Nadia Comaneci and Olga Corbett, and we're gonna see something amazing mm. here. It, it was history changing stuff. And I think we'll look back in time and say it's history-changing stuff again. And all of a sudden, this rock star has pulled out for these reasons. I think the world might be a little bit more sympathetic to um, Naomi Osaka now. I agree. Yeah, Nadia, Kim, uh, Nadia Kominich, yeah. Yeah. Olga Corbett and Bo Derek were the perfect pens when I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> Lorraine Moller was the Bo Derek of athletics, Dave Wesley told me the other day. <laughs> Not Lorraine Moller, Alison Rowe. Uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic, mate. Hey, look, I uh, look forward to your show this afternoon. That's Mark Stafford coming up after the news with Trudy. My thanks uh, as well to the spine, Brian, the spine of our show, uh, Brian Rarity. 
John Day has been very, very good today after a sluggish. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.